Chapter 21 of Practical Religion. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by E.J. Wiley, Seguin, Texas. Practical Religion by J.C. Ryle. Chapter 21 Eternity. The things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Second Corinthians 4.18 A subject stands out on the face of this text, which is one of the most solemn and heart-searching in the Bible. That subject is eternity. The subject is one of which the wisest man can only take in a little. We have no eyes to see it fully, no line to fathom it, no mind to grasp it, and yet we must not refuse to consider it. There are star depths in the heavens above us, which the most powerful telescope cannot pierce. Yet it is well to look into them, and learn something, if we cannot learn everything. There are heights and depths about the subject of eternity, which mortal man can never comprehend, but God has spoken of it, and we have no right to turn away from it altogether. The subject is one which we must never approach without the Bible in our hands. The moment we depart from God's word written in considering eternity and the future state of man, we are likely to fall into error. In examining points like these, we have nothing to do with preconceived notions as to what is God's character and what we think God ought to be or ought to do with man after death. We have only to find out what is written. What saith the scripture? What saith the Lord? It is wild work to tell us that we ought to have noble thoughts about God, independent of and over and above Scripture. Natural religion soon comes to a standstill here. The noblest thoughts about God which we have a right to hold are the thoughts which He has been pleased to reveal to us in His written word. I ask the attention of all into whose hands this paper may fall, while I offer a few suggestive thoughts about eternity. As a mortal man, I feel deeply my own insufficiency to handle this subject. But I pray that God, the Holy Ghost, whose strength is made perfect in weakness, may bless the words I speak and make them seeds of eternal life in many minds. 1. The first thought which I commend to the attention of my readers is this. We live in a world where all things are temporal and passing away. That man must be blind indeed who cannot realize this Everything around us is decaying, dying, and coming to an end. There is a sense, no doubt, in which matter is eternal. Once created, it will never entirely perish. But in a popular, practical sense, there is nothing undying about us except our souls. No wonder, the poet says, Change and decay and all around I see. O thou that changest not, abide with me. We are all going going, going, whether high or low, gentle or simple, rich or poor, old or young, we are all going and shall soon be gone. Beauty is only temporal. Sarah was once the fairest of women and the admiration of the court of Egypt. Yet a day came when even Abraham, her husband, said, Let me bury my dead out of my sight. Genesis 23, 4. Strength of body is only temporal. David was once a mighty man of valor, the slayer of the lion and the bear and the champion of Israel against Goliath. Yet a day came when even David had to be nursed and ministered to in his old age like a child. Wisdom and power of brain are only temporal. 
Solomon was once a prodigy of knowledge, and all the kings of the earth came to hear his wisdom. Yet even Solomon in his latter days played the fool exceedingly, and allowed his wives to turn away his heart. 1 Kings 9.2 Humbling and painful as these truths may sound, it is good for us all to realize them and lay them to heart. The houses we live in, the homes we love, the riches we accumulate, the professions we follow, the plans we form, the relations we enter into, they are only for a time. The things seen are temporal. The fashion of this world passeth away. 1 Corinthians 7.31 The thought is one which ought to rouse everyone who is living only for this world. If his conscience is not utterly seared, it should stir in him great searchings of heart. Oh, take care what you are doing. Awake to see things in their true light before it be too late. The things you live for now are all temporal and passing away. The pleasures, the amusements, the recreations, merry-makings, the profits, the earthly callings, which now absorb all your heart and drink up all your mind, will soon be over. They are poor, ephemeral things, which cannot last. Oh, love them not too well. Grasp them not too tightly. Make them not your idols. You cannot keep them, and you must leave them. Seek first the kingdom of God, and then everything else shall be added to you. Set your affections on things above, not on the earth. O oh, you that love the world, be wise in time. Never, never forget that it is written, The world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth for ever. Colossians 3, 2, 1 John 2, 17. The same thought ought to cheer and comfort every true Christian. Your trials, crosses, and conflicts are all temporal. They will soon have an end, and even now they are working for you, a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. 2 Corinthians 4.17 Take them patiently, bear them quietly, look upward, forward, onward, and far beyond them. Fight your daily fight under an abiding conviction that it is only for a little time, and that rest is not far off. Carry your daily cross with an abiding recollection that it is one of the things seen, which are temporal. The cross shall soon be exchanged for a crown, and you shall sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of God. 2. The second thought, which I commend to the attention of my readers, is this. We are all going towards a world where everything is eternal. That great unseen state of existence which lies behind the grave is forever, whether it be happy or miserable, whether it be a condition of joy or sorrow, in one respect it is utterly unlike this world. It is forever. There at any rate will be no change and decay, no end, no goodbye, no mornings and evenings, no alteration, no annihilation. Whatever there is beyond the tomb, when the last trumpet has sounded and the dead are raised, will be endless, everlasting, and eternal. The things unseen are eternal. We cannot fully realize this condition. The contrast between now and then, between this world and the next, is so enormously great that our feeble minds will not take it in. The consequences it entails are so tremendous that they almost take away our breath, and we shrink from looking at them. But when the Bible speaks plainly, we have no right to turn away from a subject, and with the Bible in our hands, we shall do well to look at the things which are eternal.
let us settle it then in our minds for one thing that the future happiness of those who are saved is eternal however little we may understand it it is something which will have no end it will never cease never grow old never decay never die at god's right hand are pleasures forevermore psalms twenty six eleven once landed in paradise the saints of god shall go out no more the inheritance is incorruptible undefiled and fadeth not away they shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away first peter one four verse four their warfare is accomplished their fight is over their work is done they shall hunger no more neither thirst any more they are traveling on towards an eternal weight of glory towards a home which shall never be broken up a meeting without a parting a family gathering without a separation a day without night faith shall be swallowed up in sight and hope in certainty they shall see as they have been seen and know as they have been known and be forever with the lord i do not wonder that the apostle paul adds comfort one another with these words first thessalonians four seventeen and eighteen let us settle it for another thing in our minds that the future misery of those who are finally lost is eternal this is an awful truth i am aware and flesh and blood naturally shrink from the contemplation of it but i am one of those who believe it to be plainly revealed in scripture and i dare not keep it back in the pulpit to my eyes eternal future happiness and eternal future misery appear to stand side by side i fail to see how you can distinguish the duration of one from the duration of the other if the joy of the believer is forever the sorrow of the unbeliever is also forever if heaven is eternal so likewise is hell it may be my ignorance but i know not how the conclusion can be avoided i cannot reconcile the non-eternity of punishment with the language of the bible its advocates talk loudly about love and charity and say that it does not harmonize with the merciful and compassionate character of god but what saith the scripture whoever spoke such loving and merciful words as our lord jesus christ yet his are the lips which three times over describe the consequence of impenitence and sin as the worm that never dies and the fire that is not quenched he is the person who speaks in one sentence of the wicked going away into everlasting punishment and the righteous into life eternal mark nine forty three to forty eight matthew twenty five forty six who does not remember the apostle paul's words about charity yet he is the very apostle who says the wicked shall be punished with everlasting destruction second thessalonians one nine who does not know the spirit of love which runs through all st john's gospel and epistles yet the beloved apostle is the very writer in the new testament who dwells most strongly in the book of revelation on the reality and eternity of future woe what shall we say to these things shall we be wise above that which is written shall we admit the dangerous principle that words in scripture do not mean what they appear to mean is it not far better to lay our hands on our mouths and say whatever god has written must be true 
even so lord god almighty true and righteous are thy judgments revelation twenty six seven i cannot reconcile the non-eternity of punishment with the language of our prayer book the very first petition in our matchless litany contains this sentence from everlasting damnation good lord deliver us the catechism teaches every child who learns it that whenever we repeat the lord's prayer we desire our heavenly father to keep us from our ghostly enemy and from everlasting death even in our burial service we pray at the graveside deliver us not into the bitter pains of eternal death once more i ask what shall we say to these things shall our congregations be taught that even when people live and die and sin we may hope for their happiness in a remote future surely the common sense of many of our worshippers would reply that if this is the case prayer book words mean nothing at all i lay no claim to any peculiar knowledge of scripture i feel daily that i am no more infallible than the bishop of rome but i must speak according to the light which god has given to me and i do not think i should do my duty if i did not raise a warning voice on this subject and try to put christians on their guard six thousand years ago sin entered into the world by the devil's daring falsehood ye shall not surely die genesis three four at the end of six thousand years the great enemy of mankind is still using his old weapon and trying to persuade men that they may live and die in sin and yet at some distant period may be finally saved let us not be ignorant of his devices let us walk steadily in the old paths let us hold fast the old truth and believe that as the happiness of the saved is eternal so also is the misery of the lost a let us hold it fast in the interest of the whole system of revealed religion what was the use of god's son becoming incarnate agonizing in gethsemane and dying on the cross to make atonement if men can be finally saved without believing on him where is the slightest proof that saving faith in christ's blood can ever begin after death where is the need of the holy ghost if sinners are at last to enter heaven without conversion and renewal of heart where can we find the smallest evidence that any one can be born again and have a new heart if he dies in an unregenerate state if a man may escape eternal punishment at last without faith in christ or sanctification of the spirit sin is no longer an infinite evil and there was no need for christ making an atonement b let us hold it fast for the sake of holiness and morality i can imagine nothing so pleasant to flesh and blood as a specious theory that we may live in sin and yet escape eternal perdition and that although we serve divers lusts and pleasures while we are here we shall somehow or other all get to heaven hereafter only tell the young man who is wasting his substance in riotous living that there is heaven at last even for those who live and die in sin and he is never likely to turn from evil why should he repent and take up the cross if he can get to heaven at last without trouble finally let us hold it fast for the sake of the common hopes of all god's saints let us distinctly understand that every blow struck at the eternity of punishment is an equally heavy blow at the eternity of reward it is impossible to separate the two things no ingenuous theological definition can divide them they stand or fall together the same language is used the same figures of speech are employed when the bible speaks about either condition 
Every attack on the duration of hell is also an attack on the duration of heaven. It is a deep and true saying. With a sinner's fear, our hope departs. I turn from this part of my subject with a deep sense of its painfulness. I feel strongly with Robert Machini that it is a hard subject to handle lovingly, but I turn from it with an equally deep conviction that if we believe the Bible we must never give up anything which it contains. From hard, austere, and unmerciful theology, good Lord, deliver us. If men are not saved, it is because they will not come to Christ. John 5.40 But we must not be wise above that which is written. No morbid love of liberality, so called, must induce us to reject anything which God has revealed about eternity. Men sometimes talk exclusively about God's mercy and love and compassion, as if he had no other attributes, and leave out of sight entirely his holiness and his purity, his justice and his unchangeableness, and his hatred of sin. Let us beware of falling into this delusion. It is a growing evil in these latter days, low and inadequate views of the unutterable vileness and filthiness of sin, and of the unutterable purity of the eternal God, are fertile sources of error about man's future state. Let us think of the mighty being with whom we have to do, as he himself declared his character to Moses, saying, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But let us not forget the solemn clause which concludes a sentence, and that will by no means clear the guilty. Exodus 34, 6 and 7. Unrepented sin is an eternal evil and can never cease to be sin, and he with whom we have to do is an eternal God. The words of Psalm 145 are strikingly beautiful. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. The Lord upholdeth all that fall, and raiseth up all those that bow down. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, and holy in all his works. The Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him, to all that call upon him in truth. The Lord preserveth all them that love him. Nothing can exceed the mercifulness of this language. But what a striking fact it is that the passage goes on to add the following solemn conclusion. All the wicked will he destroy. Psalm 145, 8-20. The third thought which I commend to the attention of my readers is this. Our state in the unseen world of eternity depends entirely on what we are in time. The life that we live upon earth is short at the very best, and soon gone. We spend our days as a tale that is told. What is our life? It is a vapor, so soon passeth it away, and we are gone. Psalm 99, James 4:14. 4, the life that is before us when we leave this world is an endless eternity, a sea without a bottom and an ocean without a shore. One day in thy sight, eternal God, is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Second Peter 3, 8 In that world time shall be no more. But short as our life is here, and endless as it will be hereafter, it is a tremendous thought that eternity hinges upon time. Our lot after death depends, humanly speaking, on what we are while we are alive. 
it is written god will render to every man according to his deeds to them who by patient countenance in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality eternal life but to them that are contentious and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness indignation and wrath roman two six and seven we ought never to forget that we are all while we live in a state of probation we are constantly sowing seeds which will spring up and bear fruit every day and hour in our lives there are eternal consequences resulting from all our thoughts and words and actions of which we take far too little account for every idle word that men speak they shall give account in the day of judgment matthew twelve thirty six our thoughts are all numbered our actions are weighed no wonder that st paul says he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption but he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting galatians six eight in a word what we sow in life we shall reap after death and reap to all eternity there is no greater delusion than the common idea that it is possible to live wickedly and yet rise again gloriously to be without religion in this world and yet to be a saint in the next when the famous whitefield revived the doctrine of conversion last century it is reported that one of his hearers came to him after a sermon and said it is all quite true sir i hope i shall be converted and born again one day but not till after i am dead i fear there are many like him i fear the false doctrine of the romish purgatory has many secret friends even within the pale of the church of england however carelessly men may go on while they live they secretly cling to the hope that they shall be found among the saints when they die they seem to hug the idea that there is some cleansing purifying effect produced by death and that whatever they may be in this life they shall be found meet for the inheritance of the saints in the life to come but it is all a delusion life is the time to serve the lord the time to ensure the great reward the bible teaches plainly that as we die whether converted or unconverted whether believers or unbelievers whether godly or ungodly so shall we rise again when the last trumpet sounds there is no repentance in the grave there is no conversion after the last breath is drawn now is the time to believe in christ and to lay hold on eternal life now is the time to turn from darkness into light and to make our calling and election sure the night cometh when no man can work as a tree falls there it will lie if we leave this world impenitent and unbelieving we shall rise the same in the resurrection morning and find it had been good for us if we had never been born i charge every reader of this paper to remember this and to make a good use of time regard it as the stuff of which life is made and never waste it or throw it away your hours and days and weeks and months and years have all something to say to an eternal condition beyond the grave what you sow in life you are sure to reap in a life to come as holy baxter said it is now or never whatever we do in religion must be done now remember this is your use of all the means of grace from the least to the greatest never be careless about them they are given to be your helps toward an eternal world and not one of them ought to be thoughtlessly treated or lightly and irreverently handled your daily prayers and bible reading your weekly behavior on the lord's day 
your manner of going through public worship all all these things are important use them all as one who remembers eternity remember it not least whenever you are tempted to do evil when sinners entice you and say it is only a little one when satan whispers in your heart never mind where's the mighty harm everybody does so then look beyond time to a world unseen and place in the face of the temptation the thought of eternity there is a grand saying recorded of the martyred reformer bishop hooper when one urged him to recant before he was burned saying life is sweet and death is bitter true said the good bishop quite true but eternal life is more sweet and eternal death is more bitter roman numeral four the last thought which i commend to the attention of my readers is this the lord jesus christ is the great friend to whom we must all look for help both for time and eternity the purpose for which the eternal son of god came into the world can never be declared too fully or proclaimed too loudly he came to give us hope and peace while we live among the things seen which are temporal and glory and blessedness when we go into the things unseen which are eternal he came to bring life and immortality to light and to deliver those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage second timothy one ten and hebrews two fifteen he saw our lost and bankrupt condition and had compassion on us and now blessed be his name a mortal man may pass through things temporal with comfort and look forward to things eternal without fear these mighty privileges our lord jesus christ has purchased for us at the cost of his own precious blood he became our substitute and bore our sins in his own body on the cross and then rose again for our justification he suffered for sins the just for the unjust that he might bring us unto god he was made sin for us who knew no sin that we poor sinful creatures might have pardon and justification while we live and glory and blessedness when we die first peter two twenty four and three eighteen second corinthians five twenty one and all that our lord jesus christ has purchased for us he offers freely to everyone who will turn from his sins come to him and believe i am the light of the world he says he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness but shall have the light of life come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and i will give you rest if any man thirst let him come unto me and drink him that cometh unto me i will in no wise cast out and the terms are as simple as the offer is free believe on the lord jesus christ and thou shalt be saved whosoever believeth on him shall not perish but have eternal life john eight twelve matthew eleven twenty eight john seven thirty seven and six thirty seven acts twenty six thirty one and john three sixteen he that has christ has life he can look round him on the things temporal and see change and decay on every side without dismay he has got treasure in heaven which neither rust nor moth can corrupt nor thieves break through and steal he can look forward to the things eternal and feel calm and composed his saviour has risen and gone to prepare a place for him when he leaves this world he shall have a crown of glory and be forever with his lord he can look down even into the grave as the wisest greeks and romans could never do and say o oh, death where is thy sting o oh, grave where is thy victory o oh, eternity where are thy terrors first corinthians fifteen fifty five
let us all settle it firmly in our minds that the only way to pass through things seen with comfort and look forward to things unseen without fear is to have christ for our saviour and friend to lay hold on christ by faith to become one with christ and christ in us and while we live in the flesh to live the life of faith in the son of god galatians two twenty how vast is the difference between the state of him who has faith in christ and the state of him who has none blessed indeed is that man or woman who can say with truth i trust in jesus i believe when cardinal beaufort lay upon his deathbed our mighty poet describes king henry as saying he dies but gives no sign when john knox the scotch reformer was drawing to his end and unable to speak a faithful servant asked him to give some proof that the gospel he had preached in life gave him comfort in death by raising his hand he heard and raised his hand toward heaven three times and then departed blessed i say again is he that believes he alone is rich independent and beyond the reach of harm if you and i have no comfort amidst things temporal and no hope for the things eternal the fault is all our own it is because we will not come to christ that we may have life john verse forty i leave the subject of eternity here and pray that god may bless it to many souls in conclusion i offer to everyone who reads this volume some food for thought and matter for self-examination one first of all how are you using your time life is short and very uncertain you never know what a day may bring forth business and pleasure money getting and money spending eating and drinking marrying and giving in marriage all all will soon be over and done with forever and you what are you doing for your immortal soul are you wasting time or turning it to good account are you preparing to meet god two secondly where shall you be in eternity it is coming 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 very fast upon you you are going 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 very fast into it but where will you be on the right hand or on the left in the day of judgment among the lost or among the saved oh rest not rest not till your soul is insured make sure work leave nothing uncertain it is a fearful thing to die unprepared and fall into the hands of the living god three thirdly would you be safe for time and eternity then seek christ and believe in him come to him just as you are seek him while he may be found call upon him while he is near there is still a throne of grace it is not too late christ waits to be gracious he invites you to come to him before the door is shut and the judgment begins repent believe and be saved four lastly would you be happy cling to christ and live the life of faith in him abide in him and live near to him follow him with heart and soul and mind and strength and seek to know him better every day so doing you shall have great peace while you pass through things temporal and in the midst of a dying world shall never die john eleven twenty six so doing you shall be able to look forward to things eternal with unfailing confidence and to feel and know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle be dissolved we have a building of god a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens second corinthians five one p s since preaching the above sermon i have read canon farrar's volume eternal hope with much that this book contains i cannot at all agree 
anything that comes from the pen of such a well-known writer of course deserves respectful consideration but i must honestly confess after reading eternal hope that i see no reason to withdraw anything i have said in my sermon on eternity and that i laid down the volume with regret and dissatisfaction unconvinced and unshaken in my opinions i can find nothing new in canon farrar's statement he says hardly anything that has not been said before and refuted before to all who wish to examine fully the subject of the reality and eternity of future punishment i venture to recommend some works which are far less known than they ought to be and which appear to me far sounder and more scriptural than eternal hope these are horbury's inquiry into the scripture doctrine of the duration of future punishment girdlestone's dias irae the rev c f child's unsafe anchor and the rev flavel cook's righteous judgment bishop pearson on the creed under the head resurrection and hodge's systematic theology volume three page eight sixty eight will also repay a careful perusal the plain truth is that there are vast difficulties bound up with the subject of the future state of the wicked which canon farrar seems to me to leave untouched the amazing mercifulness of god and the awfulness of supposing that many around us will be lost eternally he has handled fully and with characteristic rhetoric no doubt the compassions of god are unspeakable he is not willing that any should perish he would have all men to be saved his love in sending christ into the world to die for sinners is an inexhaustible subject but this is only one side of god's character as we have it revealed in scripture his character and attributes need to be looked at all round the infinite holiness and justice of an eternal god his hatred of evil manifested in noah's flood and at sodom and in the destruction of the seven nations of canaan the unspeakable vileness and guilt of sin in god's sight the wide gulf between natural man and his perfect maker the enormous spiritual change which every child of adam must go through if he is to dwell forever in god's presence and the utter absence of any intimation in the bible that this change can take place after death all all these are points which seem to me comparatively put on one aside or left alone in canon farrar's volume my mind demands satisfaction on these points before i can accept the views advocated in eternal hope and that satisfaction i fail to find in the book the position that canon farrar has taken up was first formally advocated by origen a father who lived in the third century after christ he boldly broached the opinion that future punishment would be only temporary but his opinion was rejected by almost all his contemporaries bishop wordsworth says the fathers of the church in origen's time and in the following centuries among whom were many to whom the original language of the new testament was their mother tongue and who could not be misled by translations examined minutely the opinion and statements of origen and agreed for the most part in rejecting and condemning them Irenaeus, cyril of jerusalem chrysostom basil cyril of alexandria and others of the eastern church and tertullian cyprian lactantius augustine gregory the great Bede, and many more of the western church were unanimous in teaching that the joys of the righteous and the punishments of the wicked will not be temporary but everlasting nor was this all the fifth general council held at constantinople under the emperor justinian in five fifty three a d examined the tenets of origen and passed a synodical decree condemnatory of them 
and for a thousand years after that time there was an unanimous consent in christendom in this sense bishop wordsworth's sermons page thirty four let me add to this statement the fact that the eternity of future punishment has been held by almost all the greatest theologians from the time of the reformation down to the present day it is a point on which lutherans calvinists and arminians episcopalians presbyterians and independents have always with a few exceptions been of one mind search the writings of the most eminent and learned reformers search the works of the puritans search the few literary remains of the men who revived english christianity in the eighteenth century and as a rule you will always get one harmonious answer within the last few years no doubt the non-eternity of future punishment has found several zealous advocates but up to a comparatively modern date i unhesitatingly assert the supporters of canon farrar's views have always been an extremely small minority among orthodox christians that fact is at any rate worth remembering as to the difficulties besetting the old or common view of future punishment i admit their existence and i do not pretend to explain them but i always expect to find many mysteries in revealed religion and i am not stumbled by them i see other difficulties in the world which i cannot solve and i am content to wait for their solution what a mighty divine has called the mystery of god the great mystery of his suffering vice and confusion to prevail the origin of evil the permission of cruelty oppression poverty and disease the allowed sickness and death of infants before they know good from evil the future prospects of the heathen who never heard the gospel the times of ignorance which god has winked at the condition of china hindustan and central africa for the last eighteen hundred years all these things are to my mind great knots which i am unable to untie and depths which i have no line to fathom but i wait for light and i have no doubt all will be made plain i rest in the thought that i am a poor ignorant mortal and that god is a being of infinite wisdom and is doing all things well shall not the judge of all earth do right genesis eighteen twenty five it is a wise sentence of bishop butler all shadow of injustice and indeed all harsh appearances in the various economy of god would be lost if we would keep in mind that every merciful allowance shall be made and no more shall be required of any one than what might have been equitably expected of him from the circumstances in which he was placed and not what might have been expected from him had he been placed in other circumstances analogy part two chapter six page four twenty five wilson's edition it is a grand saying of elihu in job touching the almighty we cannot find him out he is excellent in power and in judgment and in plenty of justice he will not afflict job thirty seven twenty three it may be perfectly true that many romish divines and even some protestants have made extravagant and offensive statements about the bodily sufferings of the lost in another world it may be true that those who believe in eternal punishment have occasionally misunderstood or mistranslated texts and have pressed figurative language too far but it is hardly fair to make christianity responsible for the mistakes of its advocates it is an old saying that christian errors are infidel arguments thomas aquinas and dante and milton and boston and jonathan edwards 
were not inspired and infallible, and I decline to be answerable for all they may have written about the physical torments of the lost. But after every allowance, admission, and deduction, there remains, in my humble opinion, a mass of scripture evidence in support of the doctrine of eternal punishment, which can never be explained away, and which no revision or new translation of the English Bible will ever overthrow. That there are degrees of misery as well as degrees of glory in the future state that the condition of some who are lost will be far worse than that of others all this is undeniable but that the punishment of the wicked will ever have an end or that length of time alone can ever change a heart or that the holy spirit ever works on the dead or that there is any purging purifying process beyond the grave by which the wicked will be finally fitted for heaven these are positions which i maintain it is utterly impossible to prove by texts of scripture nay rather there are texts of scripture which teach an utterly different doctrine it is surprising says horbury if hell be such a state of purification that it should always be represented in scripture as a place of punishment volume two page two twenty three nothing says girdlestone but clear statements of scripture could justify us in holding or preaching to ungodly men the doctrine of repentance after death, and not one clear statement on this subject is to be found. Dias Irae, page 269. If we once begin to invent doctrines which we cannot prove by text, or to refuse the evidence of text in Scripture, because they land us in conclusion we do not like, we may as well throw aside the Bible altogether, and discard it as the judge of controversy the favorite argument of some that no religious doctrine can be true which is rejected by the common opinion and popular feeling of mankind that any text which contradict this common popular feeling must be wrongly interpreted and that therefore eternal punishment cannot be true because the inward feeling of the multitude revolts against it this argument appears to me alike most dangerous and unsound it is dangerous because it strikes the direct blow at the authority of scripture as the only rule of faith where is the use of the bible if the common opinion of mortal man is to be regarded as of more weight than the declarations of god's word it is unsound because it ignores the great fundamental principle of christianity that man is a fallen creature with a corrupt heart and understanding and that in spiritual things his judgment is worthless there is a veil over our hearts the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit of god for they are foolishness to him first corinthians two fourteen to say in the face of such a text that any doctrine which the majority of men dislike such as eternal punishment must therefore be untrue is simply absurd the common opinion is more likely to be wrong than right no doubt bishop butler has said if in revelation there be found any passage the seeming meaning of which is contrary to natural religion we may most certainly conclude such seeming meaning not to be the real one but those who triumphantly quote these words would do well to observe the sentence which immediately follows but it is not any degree of presumption against an interpretation of scripture that such an interpretation contains a doctrine which the light of nature cannot discover analogy part one chapter two page three fifty eight wilson's edition after all what the common feeling or opinion of the majority of mankind is about the duration 
of future punishment is a question which admits to much doubt of course we have no means of ascertaining and it signifies little either way in such a matter the only point is what saith the scripture but i have a strong suspicion if the world could be polled that we should find the greater part of mankind believed in eternal punishment about the opinion of the greeks and romans at any rate there can be little dispute if anything is clearly taught in the stories of their mythology it is the endless nature of the sufferings of the wicked bishop butler says gentile writers both moralist and poetic speak of the future punishment of the wicked both as to duration and degree in a like manner of expression and description as the scripture does analogy part one chapter two page two eighteen the strange and weird legends of tantalus sisyphus ixion prometheus and the danaids have all one common feature about them in each case the punishment is eternal this is a fact worth noticing it is worth what it is worth but it shows at all events that the opponents of eternal punishment should not talk too confidently about the common opinion of mankind as to the doctrine of the annihilation of the wicked to which many adhere it appears to me so utterly irreconcilable with our lord jesus christ's words about the resurrection of damnation and the worm that never dies and the fire that is not quenched and st paul's words about the resurrection of the unjust john five twenty nine mark nine forty three through forty eight acts twenty four fifteen that until those words can be proved to form no part of inspired scripture it seems to me mere waste of time to argue about it the favorite argument of the advocates of this doctrine that death dying perishing destruction and the like are phrases which can only mean cessation of existence is so ridiculously weak that it is scarcely worth noticing every bible reader knows that god said to adam concerning the forbidden fruit in the day thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die genesis two seventeen but every well-taught sunday-school scholar knows that adam did not cease to exist when he broke the commandment he died spiritually but he did not cease to be so also st peter says of the flood the world that then was being overflowed with water perished second peter three six yet though temporarily drowned it certainly did not cease to be and when the water was dried up noah lived on it again it only remains for me now to add one more last word by way of information those who care to investigate the meaning of the words eternal and everlasting as used in scripture will find the subject fully and exhaustively considered in girdleston's old testament synonyms chapter thirty page four ninety five and in the same writers dias airy chapter ten and eleven page one twenty eight end of chapter twenty one end of practical religion by j c ryle